0: at either 414-442-7411 or at www.parklawn.org. I hope to meet you soon. Last week you heard me share uh, uh, an introduction, an announcement about a Senior Pastoral Succession Plan for 2020. Uh, 2020 is going to be here before you know it, before I know it, before we know it. And uh, that introduction was about a shifting in my life into an apostolic oversight role here at Park Lawn, Uh, also extending the community engagement and the DNA uh, and the ministry that God has graced us with here at Milwaukee and at Park Lawn, but extending that influence across the nation in in many cities that look just like Milwaukee, that uh, are experiencing some of the same opportunities as well as challenges. God has graced us uh, as a church and has put us on a national spotlight. And uh, it doesn't require that I leave this house in order to fulfill that mandate, but I do have to shift into a new role. And so in 2020, at the next annual church meeting, you all will elect a new senior pastor. Uh, But before you elect a new senior pastor, we will first of all have a new senior associate pastor. I introduced um, Elder Marcus, Doctor Elder Marcus Arrington, to you all last Sunday. Many of you all know him. I want him to stand again, and let's thank God for the gift that's in this house. Amen. You know, this man has two doctorate degrees, so he's he's Elder Doctor Doctor. <laughs> Uh, why are we doing this? We're doing it for the good of this body. We're doing it for even greater spiritual and pastoral care. Uh, we're doing it because this church has a bright future. We thank God for the past. We, 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 we celebrate the past, and we're thankful for the present, but I'm telling you, the future, the latter days of this house shall be greater than the former days. Amen? Amen. We are, we are a church that's still on mission. We are still on mission. Amen. This is not intermission. This is a church of the great commission. So let me tell you what it means about a succession plan. It, it, and, and I commit to you uh, to, to just over communicate. Uh, that that's why you're hearing it again today.
1: That's why you heard
0: it from me uh, last week and you didn't hear it through a rumor mill. You heard it uh, two weeks ago at the church business meeting. But so, as we communicate throughout this year, uh, I also want to hear your heart, your questions, your comments. And there is, a, uh, there is an email address that we're going to put up on the screen that uh, you can send me an email to succession at parklawnag.org. Uh, and let's just communicate back and forth because I'm telling you, this is the will of God, and we don't want anybody to be left in Egypt, to be left in the wilderness we want to go into that promised land that God has for us and for this church. So if people ask, what does it mean, and I've been receiving that question quite often over the last week and a half, let me first of all tell you what it doesn't mean. Uh, I can tell you what it doesn't mean, and you'll understand what it means. It doesn't mean that I'm leaving or retiring. I just turned 59 years young just this past Wednesday, and thank you all for the... Thank you for the love and the gifts and the cards, and, and uh, you know, I celebrate the whole month, so if you didn't, you know, you weren't able, you know, last week, uh, you still got some time, but uh, thank you for the generosity and love expressed to me. So it doesn't mean that I'm leaving, I'm not retiring, uh, I'm not burned out, I'm not exhausted, there's no sin in my life, I'm not being forced out, uh, my marriage is not bad, it's not on the rocks, in fact, it's rocking right now, I'm telling you amen. I'm not sick. There's nothing hidden. The elders are not, you know, quietly, you know, pushing me out the door. Uh, This is nothing bad. This is all good. It doesn't mean that this church is dying or falling apart. If anything, this church is becoming even more healthier and being positioned for even greater strength and growth and impact and influence. Uh, It doesn't mean that I found something better. I don't have another job waiting for me that I'm moving to. I don't have another church that's offered me a a better position. Uh, And it does not mean, and listen to this, and this is going to help us with the message today, it does not mean that we are changing our mission or our vision. We exist to bring light to the world. By fulfilling the great commission, we give life. And by fulfilling the great commandment, we demonstrate love. Our focus is still light, life, and love. Years ago, there was a there was a tragic accident that occurred in West Virginia. In 1970, a plane crashed, killing 75 people. Everyone on board, including 37 football players from the Marshall University Thundering Herd football team. Their head coach was killed. Five of his assistant coaches were killed. Their two athletic trainers were killed. Their 25, their boosters were killed. You know, boosters are the ones who supply the finances for the team, pay for the jerseys and, and all that kind of stuff. Everybody that was a crew member on the plane was killed. This plane hit some trees as it was a mile away from the, the approach of the, run, of the uh, airport landing strip heading back home. And in the wake of that tragedy, the president of the university he was leaning towards a decision of indefinitely suspending the football program. Because they had no players. They had no head coach. But some of the town residents, some of the students, and some of the the parents and the boosters challenged him to reconsider. And there was one football player who didn't make the flight because he had an injured arm. He stayed behind. His name was Nate Ruffin. In fact, there was a movie that came out maybe 10, 15 years ago called We Are Marshall. Anthony Mackie played this this, uh, injured player, Nate Ruffin, and uh, Matthew McConaughey played the coach. And uh, this player, he pleaded with the president not to shut down the football team, said, no, we're not dead. We're going to rise again. And the president agreed. He went to the NCAA headquarters in Kansas City, and he pleaded with the NCAA to change the rules, to waive this rule. Back then, no freshman could play on the varsity football team. That's a rule that was abolished for for uh, other sports except football and basketball. Now, since that time, it's been changed. If you're a freshman, you can... Play on the varsity. It's kind of like in high school. You remember we used to have the freshmen that they would call up to the varsity. We didn't like them freshmen. You know, they was like, "You need to play with the JV, man. I'm a senior. I didn't earn my spot." But they changed the rule because they needed players. There were some um, recruits who had already signed to come to Marshall that changed their decision and started transferring to West Virginia, which was a football powerhouse. Uh, It kind of reminds me of sometimes how church members transfer, you know, when they think the ship is going down. But the president and the team, uh, the the family of Marshall, realized that this was a time that they needed all hands on deck. They needed the freshmen. They needed whoever was willing to play. Back in 1993, this church went through something similar to Marshall. It was a a devastating tragedy. It was a church split. And for a, a while, this church limped along and eventually walked and eventually ran and finally got to the place where we were back on mission, fulfilling our mission and vision. I have often thought about writing a book called We Are Park Lawn, based on the the plot of this movie, because we almost died. We were knocked down, but we were not knocked out. And So I recognize that there is a shift in the season of this church right now. And the news that I shared with you just a moment ago and last week, on Sunday and on Wednesday, it marks a season for us. But let me tell you what I recognize it also marks. It marks a season of grief. It marks a season of grief for us as a family with you all 27 years it's gonna be it's gonna be hard for me to shift out into a new world I'm not leaving but I'm telling you it's gonna be hard because the level of our relationships will change some of you have come up to me and said you know bishop I see what you're doing but it's hard for me I don't like it I miss you all somebody told me I miss you already I'm glad to hear that. I'm glad y'all didn't stand up and cheer and said he's leaving. I'm glad y'all stood up and cheered when I introduced Elder Marcus. There's going to come a time for celebration later, but for right now, it's all right to cry. In fact, I want to remind you of God's word to all of us, not just in this season, but any time that tears well up in our eyes. God is a promise keeper. God says in His Word is that blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. God's promise to us is weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. His promise to us is that those who sow in tears shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing their sheaves with them. So, this is a time for us to stand on God's promise. I want to ask you a question as I transition into the Word What makes you cry? What makes you cry? I can tell you what makes me cry: the things that I care about, the things that I love, the people that I love. I, I'm not talking about stuff. You know, I lost my watch. I'm crying. Oh, I love. You know, you can get another watch. How about your baby? Whether they are an adult or a child. How about your mama, your daddy? You see. And, man, I want to just let you all know, too, it's all right to cry. I know with your big chested self and your heart, muscles, it's all right to cry, man. It's all right. It's all right. Just lean over to the brother and say, it's all right to cry. Let him know it's all right to cry. Look, at him, he ain't even receiving it. They're like, what you talking about? What you talking about? I'm talking to somebody else. We cry over the things and the people that we love. God cares also and God cries. God cares about you. He cares about the things and the people that you love. And he weeps, he cries. In fact, everybody knows John 3, 16 and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. God's not happy when people die and go to hell. God's not happy when people live broken lives. He loves the world. It's not his will that anyone should perish, but that everybody should repent and come into a relationship with him. And if you really want to represent the mind and the heart of God, stop acting like you happy that people are unsaved. That you the only one who know the Lord. He didn't send his son into the world to condemn it, but that it might be saved. He loves the world. And he weeps over the things that he loves. There are two times in scripture that Jesus wept. The first time he wept over a friend. The second time he wept over a city. In John chapter 11, verse 1 says, There was a certain man who was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sister sent to him, to Jesus, saying, Lord, he whom you, what? Love is ill, and as we as we walk through this this journey together of succession, come on, we're walking through a journey of grief. We, we're walking through what it feels like to it. it you're not losing anything, but you're, it feels like you are. You didn't lose Mama and Daddy if they were in the Lord; they're not lost. You know where they are. It's just not with you in the same way. But it feels like we're losing a leader. We're losing a relationship. It feels like death is occurring. But it's all for the glory of God. You've got to keep that in mind. It's for the glory of God. It's not about right now. It's for the glory. Let me me tell you, in verse 4, when Jesus heard what they said, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Can I let you all know this succession is for the glory of God. It's not about me. It's not about Elder Marcus. It's not about you. It's for the glory of God. Verse 5 says, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. But when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Wait a minute, I thought you loved him. How come you didn't do what they wanted you to do when they wanted you to do it? How come you didn't do it their way, on their time? Make them, give them instant relief. Give them what they want. No, he stayed where he was for two more days. Because God is God and he does things his own way, his own timing. But whatever he does is for our good. We don't always understand it, but it's Jesus got to that place in the Garden of Gethsemane. He said, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. So as we run this race and as the baton is still in my hand as a senior pastor until uh, the next meeting in 2020, let's not have an attitude that the race is already lost. Ain't no sense in running this race. We ain't going to win no way. That's a pessimistic attitude. You defeat it even before you start. That's the kind of attitude that Thomas had in verse 16 of John 11. The Bible says, Thomas, who was called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, well, let us also go that we may die with him. Woe is us. We'll never get the glory back. I'm telling you, the glory of the, four, of the latter house will be greater than the former. going to go through these stages of grief. We're going to go through denial. We're going to go through anger. We're going to go through blame. We're going to go through bargaining, trying to make a deal with God, when finally we need to come to the place of acceptance. In this text, in verse 19, there were many Jews who had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and she met him Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. I was blame. She's grieving. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give it to you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said, I know he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Y'all getting the Easter sermon already. It ain't even Easter. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. There's no dead stuff around him. I'm telling you, we are Parkland. We like Marshall. We rise again. We like Maya Angelou. Still I rise. Still I rise. We're going to continue to rise higher and higher. In verse 32, when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet. I'm telling you, Mary was a worshiper. She stayed in her lane. She didn't let people pull her out of her lane. She's always at the feet of Jesus, worshiping. She said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now, she's weeping while she's worshiping. That's all right. That's a good place to be in. Weep while you worship. Weep while you run. But stay in your lane. And when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And he said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Verse 35, the shortest verse in the Bible. Two words, Jesus Wept, and in verse thirty-six, the Jews said, "See how he loved him. He weeps over the things that he loves. He was weeping over his friend. But then he also wept over a city." In Luke chapter nineteen, verse eleven, and then jump down to verse forty-one said, as they heard these things, he added and he spoke a parable because he was nigh or he was near to Jerusalem and because they thought that the kingdom of God should immediately appear. Verse 41 says, and when he was come near, he beheld the city and he wept over it. He said in verse 42, would that you, even you, had known on this day The things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground. You and your children within you, and they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. Jesus is weeping over lost opportunities. He's, he weeps when we when we miss our day of visitation. He, he weeps when he provides an open heaven and an open door for us and we're, we're, we're deaf, we're asleep, we're numb with grief or we're numb with the pleasures of the world and we miss the open door, the invitation, the visitation. We have to be like the men of Issachar who understood the times and knew what Israel was to do. He said, if only you had known, even you, especially in your day. Can I just let you all know, this is our day. Say that with me. This is our day. Say it like you mean it. This This is our day. Psalmist said, this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. This is our day to walk and to live in peace. To extend the dominion and the kingdom of God in our city and in our nation. God cries over lost opportunities. He cries over lost people. It's not his will that any should perish. He didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. If you're not saved today, my God, I'm so glad you're in this house today. Because I want to let you know that God loves you. God's not mad at you. He's not out to get you. He didn't didn't take anything away from you. The devil came to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But Jesus said in in this same gospel, John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus said, I have come to give you life and life more abundantly. That don't sound like a God who hates you, does it? Mr. Sam was praying for the service today and he prayed several times for the city. God give us a heart for the city. God loves the city. He wept over the city of Jerusalem. You know why? It's because the city represents the greatest concentration of that which God values the most. The city The greatest concentration of what God values the most. What does God value? People. Where are the greatest concentration of people? In the city. It's the place of God's love. It's the place that draws his attention. It's the place that he wants to pour out his grace, his mercy, his power, his deliverance, his kindness, his love. The city is a place that attracts people. There's some folks that just can't wait to grow up and go to the city. The city is a place where all ethnicities live, all ages, all racial backgrounds, all social classes, all types of religions are drawn to the city. The Bible uses the word city or cities 1,250 times. It refers to 142 different cities in the scripture. The city demonstrates the mind and the design of God. It was God's idea to create cities. In fact, even when the children of Israel came into the promised land, God said, you all need to create cities of refuge. That's my idea. That's my design. Because the cities of refuge are to be places where people who have messed up, who killed somebody they can go and they can find redemption and safety. That's God's idea. His people live in a place of security, a place of safety. In fact, Jesus calls us, his people, cities. He says in Matthew 5, you are a city set on a hill. He loves a city. Dr. Tim Keller says that in Genesis, God starts his creation in a garden, but in Revelation, he ends it in a city. God himself lives in a city. The city of heaven is symbolized by the city of Jerusalem with its its, uh, twelve gates. Four on the east, four on the west, four on the north, and four on the south. And God created us in Genesis to live in community. He said in Genesis uh, 2 and 18, it's not good for man to dwell alone. I'll make him a helper. And didn't just stop there. The reason he gave him a helper is so that he can be fruitful and multiply, replenish the earth, and live in the city. To live in community. And as the city goes, so goes the suburbs. I don't care, you can live in the suburbs if you want to, but you better be praying for the city. As the city goes, so goes the rural area. You can flee out to the country and get you some some ducks and and geese and, and cows and whatever, but as the city goes, so goes the rural area. As the city goes, so goes the nation. The city is the center of society. It's the center of the arts. It's the center of entertainment, the center of government, the center of social services, of business, of banking, of education, of whatever your your profession and your career is, the center of it, the seat of power is in the city. Whoever controls the city controls the world. God weeps over the city because it represents the greatest concentration of what he loves, people. That's why at Park Lawn we have to continue to press in even more with God's heart for this city. We're not in retreat. We are in advance. We are now preparing for a neighboring movement. You saw the announcement about this Wednesday and the the introduction of the art of neighboring. That's preparing us for a summer of engagement and outreach with our own neighbors. It's great for you to invite your neighbors and friends to church, but why should they come to church if they've never been in your house? They've never been in your backyard. So, we're going to stay on mission. We're not changing. We're not only going to stay on mission, we're going to stay in our lane. That means that every one of us has a role and a responsibility to play. God showed me after the, uh, the riots, during the, 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 the riots and the unrest in Sherman Park back in 2016, the Lord says, The church is His, but the city is yours. As long as you're trying to just keep the church together and keep everybody safe in the church, the city's going to hell, but you don't have any influence. He says, listen, the church belongs to me, but I've given you the city. It's ours. We have a dominion mandate. The Lord said if we pastor the city, he'll multiply the church. Jeremiah 29. Verses 4 through 7, the Lord says, continue to put down roots. That's what we've been seeking to do for the last 27 years as your leaders. is to love this city, put down roots. Because God God planted me here. This is not a burden for me. This is a, a joyful assignment. The difference between being planted and buried is that when you're buried, you're dead. Both of them are under dirt, but the one that's dead is not producing any life you're planted you are on an assignment you know that you are called to put down roots and eventually bear fruit in Jeremiah 29 and 4 the Lord says that I am the one that have carried you into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon God planted us here park lawn we are park lawn he says in verse 5 I want you to build houses and settle down we need to buy more real estate We need to buy some vacant homes and some boarded-up properties in this community. Build houses and settle down. Let's not run from the city. Let's return to the city. Parkline Assembly of God exists to share the light, life, and love of Jesus Christ. As a part of this mission, join us for special services, workshops, and encounters. Park Lawn Assembly of God is located at 3725 North Sherman Boulevard, right in the heart of the city of Milwaukee. You can contact us by phone or on the web at either 414-442-7411 or at www.parklawn.org. I hope to meet you soon.